Welcome to the People Experience Podcast, where thought leaders from SAP, NASA, and Shell share wisdom on how to engage employees, build community, and ultimately create a people-centric experience. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, James Sinclair, the CEO of Alumni EX with the Alumni Experience platform that enables organizations to maintain a connection with their former employees to drive recruiting, sales, and brand advocates. You're on the People Experience podcast, where we have these amazing conversations with people doing amazing things. And with that, I am thrilled to welcome to the show Pablo Gonzalez. And really with that, I want to get straight into it. And... Pablo, tell us about yourself. Who are you? Where you're from? What's your star sign? And uh, what should we know about you? Let's uh, let's get straight into it, James. Uh, my name is Pablo Gonzalez. As you as you said, where am I from, man? I was I was born in Venezuela. I moved to Miami at a young age. Grew up, in, then we lived in Spain for a while. Then came back to Miami, and I grew up there. So I'm a I'm kind of a quintessential Miamian in that I am. Uh, equally Hispanic and North American, and I listen to Pitbull. So, like, you know, <laughs> typical, typical Miami guy. Mr. Worldwide. And uh, Mr. Worldwide these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, I, I bring that up, James, because my first formative memory was walking into preschool knowing that I was the only kid that didn't speak English. And that I, that feeling of, like, how do I belong is something that stuck with me forever. And it got reinforced a year later when we moved to Spain. And I, at that point, learned English and, and spoke Spanish, and but didn't speak the Queen's English when I enrolled in a British school in Spain. I still don't. And I didn't speak, <laughs> exactly. And I didn't speak the Spanish dialect, right? So like this, this idea of thinking that I had a solid ground of connection to walk into and that having that taken away from me has been something that has really, really driven me forever as this uh, person that's always looking to belong and being very aware of anybody that doesn't belong and try to pull them into the fold. I mean, I mean, I want to hear your whole intro, but immigrants, and I can't speak globally, tend to understand yeah. community, whether you call it family or community, more than yeah. any group of people on earth. Um, you know, and I don't know if that same applies to you. Yeah, I would say I would say it does. I, listen, I think I think Hispanic people understand community to a large extent. Catholics understand community, like all these different vectors that 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 formed me. But I do think that people that have had to immigrate and have been at some point had to choose who their friends are as opposed to just the people that they came up with forever. Mm -hmm. I think that that's more present in their life, a hundred percent. Yeah, for sure. That kind of, you got to find your tribe and it's not necessarily the tribe everyone tells you it's going to be. Um, just because Correct. we both came from Venezuela doesn't necessarily mean we are tribally connected. Uh, I'll let you carry on your intro. I apologize. No, it's all right, man. It's all right. Listen, I, it's not much more to the intro after that. I, Spent 15 years in construction industry. Uh, at one point, I got I got really involved with nonprofits, and uh, that led me on to some really deep understandings of how influence is built, and understanding that if you really want to be influential, the most influential people in your town are those that serve others. Right. Once I got on the boards of nonprofits, that became very clear. And at that point, I switched my focus from trying to be the coolest guy in the room to trying to be the most valuable person in the room. And instead of, you know, making the person in front of me feel like the coolest person in the room. And then a little bit after I realized all that stuff, I, I, I figured out a different way to do business development. And then I didn't shut up about it for a while. <laughs> and, uh, and that took me on another journey where I've been able to build a business that functions by me doing what I love doing the most that I think I'm world-class at, being the main driver of a business and uh, that means I get to just have fun every single day because I've built something around my ability to see extraordinary things in people and fall in love with people. And I'm a great communicator and make them look good, right? So um, that's that's where I'm at today, man. You're so in the I'm job pretty... you're destined to be in, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I feel self-actualized, to be yeah. perfectly honest, right? Like, um, so, so, you know, that that's why I'm, you know, I'm, I'm somebody that's... Perfect. that's Desperately wants to be your best friend. Yeah, and I, I think you <laughs> yeah. mentioned a, a really big point there, which is you went from wanting to be the kind of, I am the greatest, to actually, I, you are the greatest, and let me help you do that. And by doing that, you know, in service of serving others, 
you actually become the greatest by default. And, you know, we talked about it when we spoke, that 51-49% rule. Always give 51%, never expect anything in return. But just an FYI, it will return. And it will return a hundredfold. Just don't expect it. And don't be surprised if it doesn't happen on day one, um, which is exactly what you talked about, right? When you start doing the nonprofits, you start doing the community stuff. So, so I mean, when you talk about influence, influence and community are, you know, literally side by side. Um Maybe take me through a little bit more of that deep dive of influence, influencer, community, building a circle, and maybe how you think about it yourself and you've done it yourself or how you've done it for others. Yeah, yeah, man. So so I think um, the aha moment was through through my through my late 20s into into like my early 30s i basically was just like a 30 year old huck finn right like i just knew how to <laughs> how to be like a, a wheeler and dealer and get my way and get people to do what i wanted right and at a certain point once i started getting on the boards of these nonprofits i started feeling really out of place not being able to talk to the vice president of a bank or you know the ceo of writer corporation about what bachelor party i was about to go on and and i immediately I saw my buddy Oscar Lopez having these deeper conversations of just like, so how's business, man? So what are you working on these days? Right. Like just like really caring right. about them and trying to figure out what their priorities were. And that was kind of the aha moment when I realized, all right, what got me here isn't what's going to get me there. And I got to lean into this idea of just like really getting to know what people want and how I can facilitate that. The next big moment was my brother, suffering from pancreatic cancer for, you know, fighting it for two years and passing away. Right. And at his, at his funeral, 1200 people showed up and it was like standing room only in this giant church, just packed to the gills. And I looked around and I had been, you know, obsessed with this, like, how do I provide value to people? And I looked around and I saw this church packed with people. And I thought, man, this is, this isn't just our church. This is our community. And as hard as these last two years have been and as hard as this moment is right now, having this has made it infinitely easier and infinitely more palatable and is what the reason why we're going to be able to get through this, this horrible scenario. And it hit me that at that point, it's just like, okay, so then if, if something can be this valuable at this moment, then it's got to be, you know, one of the most valuable things you can provide to people. And, and then it's like, wait a minute, organized religion, the business model is community. Right. Because that's what they do. Right. And, and I started thinking, I'm like, I've always had these like druthers with the Catholic Church ever since I was a teenager that, and I tried to churn out of the Catholic Church multiple times because I was kind of over it. And I looked around and I was like, you know what? I'm never really going to leave this ever, am I? Because it's my community and it's too valuable to me. Right. So, so at that point, I started thinking, this is a business model. This is something that increases, you know, over time and like stickiness. And, um, and then the next, the next phase was, this is now in my head, right? Like I know that value is what builds relationships. I know that community is the greatest value, um, in relationship building that you can create. And I was working for, you know, when I moved back to Miami from Southern California, where I was in my early twenties, where I started my career, I started this green builder consulting company that got acquired by my biggest client. I went in house as director of sustainability that company got bought out by this like international Spanish conglomerate and it changed leadership a couple of times. And I was kind of like buried in a hole without a career trying to figure out how to be more valuable within that, within that business as just like director of sustainability, hippie guy that gives a great presentation, <laughs> but no career in front of him. Right. right. Um, and what happened was that the CEO at the time got invited to go speak at a panel for smart cities in front of the economic development agency of Miami. And he didn't want to go. So last minute, they, they're like, Pablo, go show up for this thing, right? So I, I go show up and I, I get on the stage and I'm on this panel with the head of Cisco Systems for Latin America and the head of the Smart Cities Initiative for the World Bank and me who feels like a loser in his career. But luckily, because I've been in nonprofits and I've been on stages before, I felt comfortable. I'd become a good public speaker. I knew I was in my wheelhouse. I knew what I was talking about. Right. And when I came off of the stage, there was a line seven deep waiting to talk to me. That had never really happened to me before. And as I'm like scrolling through the people talking to me, the first four are vendors. So I'm like, man, these guys think I'm way more important than I am in my company. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The next two are just these like developers. I was like, what's it take to get a guy like you to work for me? I'm like, whoa, what's going on here? And then like the the last one is this guy, Will Beckham, who I'm still friends with, who's a a couple years younger than me. He's like, man, I'm looking for a mentor and you seem like you really got it going. I was like, what 
is going on here, <laughs> right? And and I and I and I looked around. I'm like, okay, so what's happening is that when you're in the audience and I'm on a stage, you automatically think that there's something special about me because I know that that's the brain work because I've been reading right. about influence because I care about influencing people forever, right? And then on top of that, being guilty about association with a couple of people of a certain ilk made me look even more validated on right. that stage. And my head immediately went to, how can I use this as a trick, right? Like, how can I commercialize it, provide stages for other people? And at this point, I had formed multiple young professional groups. So I had an audience. So all I had to do was figure out who I want to like put on the stage and who I want to make him guilty by association with. And I started doing that with developers, right? I started having like a, a panel about trans-oriented development where this like developer comes on stage and I put him there with a politician on the board of one of my charities and the land use attorney that I know right. and just kind of like promote them. And all of a sudden we're like backdooring $60 million projects. And, and as you, when you think about the whole community thing, right? Like if you can, all communities have some form of stage, all communities have this like, group right like if you there's there's chairs facing towards a stage and if you can leverage that effectively to make people learn from each other on that stage it's a very efficient mechanism to build community but it's also a really efficient mechanism to um leverage that to meet the people that you want to meet and provide the experience that you want to provide and be guilty by association with people uh and then you know once i unlocked that i became a business developer in my company and I had this like vision of value added business development that I didn't shut up about. And then I got this, I, this chance to go be the VP of business development at this like startup software for Amazon sellers up in Jacksonville. And I was so enamored with the idea of going from construction to tech that I didn't really do any technical diligence. And I just kind of <laughs> fell in love with this idea and I went for it and I jumped straight into a dumpster fire. And, um, and I was forced to just reimagine everything I was going to do from events to, I just started you know, we were losing clients left and right because of a bunch of things that were happening. Number one, software wasn't really working. <laughs> um, and, and, and we had, we went from 500 clients to 300 clients. And I thought, and I looked around and I saw that our 12 highest paying clients made up 35% of our recurring revenue and we couldn't lose any of them. Right. So I just started doing that same motion of having a stage, but on a zoom call in 2018 and just like showing up, adding some value, bringing some people to talk to them, and then having a therapy session. And we started recording these calls. And then we started getting these like amazing moments of community, right? Like this one right. Serbian guy that really didn't trust that I just wanted to like support him and not try to sell him something new. Um, like two months later was like, you know, I've always been on top of mountain by myself. And now I feel like I fly with eagles and you are my best friends. So I'm like, oh my God, is this happening? Like, you right. know, and, and, and we're like recording this stuff. So we started using that in our promotions and in our, in our advertising and that led to free trials and joining a community and seeing that there's like a secret cool club at the top of the community and you can come meet them if you come to our next event. And it just kind of like solved all these different problems. And by the time I figured that out, I also figured out I didn't really want to be a, a partner with this guy anymore and started a business, you know, based on this idea that I think community creation is the future of business development. And the way that you do it most effectively is by leveraging a stage in an intelligent way that includes you building the relationship with somebody that you really need to build a relationship with in front of an audience of people that you want to build a relationship with, capturing that content of all those interactions and tactically redistributing that content that I call a relationship flywheel. And I, and I want to talk about that. And you bring up something that's kind of important about that. So I have so much to ask and talk about. So I think I think the first thing, you know, people who listen in on this, they generally are existing community managers or they've been lobbed into a community management space in a corporate environment. Hey, start a community because the future of B2B SaaS is community. And... Frank and Sheila are like, what, you know, what, where, what's my budget? Zero. How much time do I have yesterday? You know, what tools and resources are you can give me to succeed? Well, here's a branded notebook and, and, and maybe a pen. And, and what you're talking about is that it is a journey. You know, you had all of the elements of community from day one. It just took, you know, an unfortunate moment combined mm -hmm. with some business stuff to actually realize this is a business that you can commercialize community. And I think what's important for people who are in the corporate space, given the fact to focus on the, the corporate alumni, it is the MC is the most important person in the room, even though they speak the least. And, 
And the company needs to be that. The company needs to shut the F up and facilitate other people talking. And exactly what you said is so applicable. The people are out there. The people already exist. And people want to have, um, want to be celebrated. People want to be on a stage. People want to tell their story. And it's not always arrogance, ego, and all of those things, which was the reason in my early years where I wanted to be on a stage. Look at me. Look at this photo. Well, now I want to be on the stage because I know I have add value to bring. I know I have a diverse opinion to bring. So you go forward in this, you realize being the MC is is really the secret ingredient and in facilitating the kind of infrastructure and architecture. You know, I, I guess part of this is everyone's like, okay, I agree, fine. Focus on my people, deliver value, do 51%, and they will pay it back in droves. It's just a given. Let's just assume that. But boss man over here or boss woman over here, you know, ROI. ROI, show me the money, you know, very, very Tom Cruise, Cuba Gooding um, movie style. How, how do you facilitate the conversation of, I hear you, I hear this has to be a revenue generating program. Sometimes the things that count the most are really hard to count, but here's what you can expect. I guess, how do you balance that? You know, you're in a commercial business selling influence, community and value. The person on the other end of your phone is ready. How do you approach that kind of ROI conversation? Yeah, man, uh, by not actually selling community, right? What, I'm, what, I'm, what I ended up, what I realized is that this whole motion builds community, but what it does first is create a whole bunch of marketing material that your company needs anyways. It creates a bunch of collisions between you and your clients that your sales team really, really wants and really, really welcomes. It provides a low friction opportunity for a prospect and client to engage together. And at the end of the day, if you're doing all those things, you are accelerating your pipeline, you are uh, nurturing leads, you're, you're creating a bunch of outreach and messaging, you are Iterating your message, the more that you talk to your clientele in front of your clientele, and therefore, all of a sudden, now you are converting much quicker on everything that you're doing because you're able to do all these things all at once and then and spread it way, for, way out. Right. So, so community is the output of this. Do this right. Deliver this value. Iterate. That's a really good point that I think people don't catch enough in communities is how often you need to repeat your message, your core values, your intent, your expectations. Everyone thinks they know it in their head. Yeah, I know what we're doing. I know why we're doing it. I know how we're doing it. Tell me. And I often, very often I say to customers, you know, well, tell me then, why are we doing this? And they're like, well, you know, Sally wants to create a community so we can recruit quicker. No, that's not why you're doing it. That's the output if you do, if you do it moderately correctly. But yeah. what, if you can't tell your core values to your users, then it's not the reason, then, then you're in the wrong business. And I've always believed that communities should be very transparent about what they are, what the intent is, and your community has to be part of that foundation and building block. If you expect to be able to build a community, keeping it a secret that you're going to take advantage of them or try and tap into their network or, or generally extract value without giving it, what you end up with is potentially a mailing list or a dormant Facebook group or, or a platform that you know people maybe read your emails, but no one actually gives a shit about. <laughs> yeah, man. And it's just it, like, it's, it's all these correct, right? Like, I was just at this event yesterday for Jacksonville podcasters. They were, they were talking about statistics in podcasts and they're like, you know, like if you get more than 80 downloads an episode, you're in the top 25% of all podcasts. But look at this room right now. There's 25 people in this room right now. Would you not stop whatever you're doing and go speak to a, 20, a 25, uh, like a room of this size tomorrow of, of people that, of people that influence you, you know, of people that have influence in like your buying decision. Right. So like being the host of the party, being the MC of a community, no matter how small it is, if you show it in like real life people, right? Like if, right. if you were, if your alumni network for your little business was just 50 people or 25 people or 15 people, 
gathering in a room once a month. Right. And you, as your past employer, can just have a genuine conversation with them. And every one of those conversations could lead to referrals for you. Every one of those conversations could lead to some kind of feedback about what you did well, or like this employee that left because you did this and why don't you fix that? And now right. that could 10x your business, right? Like the propensity for black swans, for positive black swan events to happen when you are just interacting with people that have something to do and kind of know you and yeah. are somewhat interested in how you operate is how we have always progressed in society. You're creating right? you're creating opportunity for opportunity. And I, by the way, I agree with you. Like, don't get me wrong. I want the big businesses to buy the software for sure. But if we just scrub that out, actually what I often tell customers is start anywhere. Start exactly yeah. that. A TGI Fridays, buy the first round. I don't care what it is. I don't care how it is, but do something human. Do something real and human, and I get it. We have a lot of issues with COVID and being human, but you can still be human. You can still be authentic. You can still be all of those things. I think you're exactly right. It doesn't have to be super scale on day one. You know, the way I kind of think about it is if you take all of your company alumni and put them in a massive ballroom, what you're now trying to do is create these micro tables of seven. You know, the group when you're at a restaurant, there's always one table that's having the greatest time ever. And you're like, am I at the wrong table? You want to create those tables and it doesn't necessarily mean it's all the same people. And so I think you're absolutely right that that just do anything, something, you know, people are always like, what's the first step? The first step is doing literally anything. First step is a mass text message to the 25 people that you know, right? But like right. to your to your analogy of 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 the tables, right? Like if there's a table having, if you have five tables, one table's having the time of their life, three other tables look okay and there's another table of everybody about to get in a fist fight. You would do really well to understand what is the difference between that good table and that bad table. Right. <laughs> right. Like that you're that is gonna allow you to operate better, period, man. Right. You know, right. And that's where the, you know, the human X technology comes into play. Because when you only have four tables, you as an individual can actually recognize, you know, I put the wrong people together, whatever it might be. But when you start to get to scale, I have twenty thousand, eighty thousand, three hundred thousand members, you need intelligence behind it. And so I, you know, I, I've always believed that. I've always said to customers, start this off in a post-it note. If you can't plan out your community for your former employees and how you're going to celebrate them on a napkin, the software isn't going to make it better. You're going to have the exact <laughs> same problem, but you will have spent some money so we can talk about the problem and have a therapy session about it. And so I think people confuse technology with actually just being decent, just starting somewhere, which leads me to the best story from you and I talking this week when I told you, you know, everyone starts their employment somewhere. And I kind of wanted to think about interviewing people who started at McDonald's and now are the CEO of Boeing or VP of marketing at Spotify. People have, most people start in the same, let's call it lesser role, low on the food chain. Doesn't matter where you are. Doesn't matter if you're coming out of college and going to McKinsey, you're still at the bottom of the food chain. So independent of your educational or any of those things, you're at the bottom of the food chain. And you told me this great story and I want to do it justice. You immediately were like, oh my God, have you heard of this podcast? So I'll let you run that story because I think it's so cool. Yeah, man. Like you said, there is there is jobs that are known as starter jobs, just like there's homes that are starter homes and whatnot. And one of these like very well-known starter jobs is a, I don't know what the parent company is called, but what they sell are these knives called Cutco that have been a company that's been forever. They have this awesome warranty. I have a set. I love it. I love the kitchen. But they, you know, their program is like these like young people that are in college that basically they like teach them how to sit somebody through their sales presentation. And their job is to like hit up their mom and all their friends to just set up appointments with their mom's friends to like walk through this presentation and ask for referrals. And it teaches you how to be a salesperson, right? Out of this, out of this program and this company, very famous people have come out, right? Like Hal Elrod came from this thing. So they started this podcast called Selling Knives and Changing Lives that literally just celebrates Cutco alumni. And it's just a conversation of just like, who are you nowadays? What did you learn back then while you were working for us? And like, what do you have to teach us these days? And, and, and it just creates this, ever since I found out about this, number one, I like the product, right? Like I, like I have like an affinity to a product because I bought it off my cousin who did the same thing to me and then <laughs> sold me a $600 knife set. Um, but, you know, now it's just like, man, this is brilliant, dude, right? Like if you're, if you are, if you are focused on being a kingmaker instead of a king, you're going to do better. And this company is out there kingmaking their, 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 their alumni saying, look at how far 
the people that worked with us have come. If you do this, you can be a king too. I just don't think that there's anything more powerful than that one. I agree. And I cannot wait to find the origin story for that podcast. I will. And I'm going to find the origin and I'm going to speak to that guy or gal and and find out exactly how that started. Because I think that's genius. And, you know, I was on a, another podcast with a friend of mine over at Salesforce and we were talking about value creation. What's in it for the company? What's in it for the company? And she turned around and eloquently said it. We celebrate the successes of our employees past and present. We celebrate you as you leave the building. We celebrate you as you enter the building, return to the building. We, yes, we can pretend we want you to have a career here for life, but that's not going to happen. But what will happen is you will always be supported by this organization. And and I, and I made a dig into it because it was just so, you know, that takes a leader who says, you want to know what the ROI is? The ROI is being good, being a good human, not being a dick, treating our people right and showing we have a culture that is honest all the way through. Because if you leave and we're like, well, nice to see you, here's an edible arrangement, then our culture's not honest. And, and so if you go to their careers website, the first five stories, people that have left the organization and are doing something amazing. And I think to myself as a younger me looking for jobs, how amazing to be able to put yourself in the shoes of another human. Oh my God, look at her. Look at what she's done after she left Salesforce. So Teresa has it not only entirely right, but kudos to her because it's very difficult for a lot of companies to say there is no KPI. The KPI is smiles period. And I think the knives example is exactly the same as that. And I think it's such a, I think it's just so amazing on so many levels. And by default, because of it, you know, people are talking right now about the great resignation and everyone leaving and, you know, people finding themselves or this, what it really is, is a reorganization of culture. Companies that have a shitty culture that don't have a great lean in mentality of finding employees saying, I'm not okay with that. And so when you see the great resignation, I can tell you who the great resignation isn't happening to. It's not happening to your knife company. It's not happening to Salesforce because people don't need to great resignation, a company they're happy with and they reflect on. And so, you know, I see all these articles and I can't help but be frustrated because it's not the great resignation. It's the great reset of how companies treat their people throughout their lifetime. I got a hot take for you on that one, man. I'm ready. I, I think that this great resignation is a symptom of a greater macro trend that's happening. As communication, as the friction and the barriers of communication have gone away, you can no longer hide a uh, truth. And as this is happening, we are moving from, Brene Brown talks about this, we're moving from a power over culture where it's like, I used to have this advantage over you that I hold and I keep my power over you as long as I can milk it and I do well and you do a little bit less. Right. To a power with culture, right? Like now that this information, whatever I know, you're going to find out about it in 10 seconds. I just got to, I need to figure out how to win by embracing that you are also a part of this, being a power with culture and continually creating a greater whole than whatever the pie was before. And, you know, this, this great resignation is, I, I think the first major sign of that was the Me Too movement, right? Like yeah. all of a sudden, man, you can't be a creep, dude. It's going it, it, to, it, everybody that's a creep, it's caught up. It's basically catching up to them right now, Agreed. right? The same thing is happening on a corporate level as well. If you are not treating your people well, if you have not shown that you have a good culture, now that everybody knows everything about you, no matter what you do, you're just not going to keep your people. I was on a run with my biggest client, um, who's become one of my best friends. And him and his partners got to talk to uh, the CEO of a billion-dollar corporation here in Jacksonville the day before. And they just built out this this new corporate headquarters. And the CEO was like, man, the best thing that we did with this corporate headquarters is to turn it into a freaking country club. Like we have created a place that people want to be at. And thank God we did that because now that you actually, you know, now that it's proven that you don't have to come to the office and, but there is value in people coming to the office, you got to win people into the office. And I just think that's just a giant part of the macro trend, right? Like that now, now that the barriers of access to where you can work, what you know about people, information, thanks to the internet, you know, now that, now that everybody knows everything as soon as they want it, 
you really need to get people to enroll in your thing. You can't beat them over the head as to what you want them to do. You have to get really good at showing what's in it for them and enlisting them into the mission of what you're up to or else you're going to yeah. lose, man. It's basically, it's the true colors movement. We're going to see your true colors of the business because your employees are not afraid to speak out. Your employees want to speak out. You, yep. Some of your employees know that by speaking out, there is both a financial and an influencer and a community gain. So this, you know, what happens in the building stays in the building is gone. And, and thankfully so. Thank God it's gone. So what is what the True Colors movement is showing is companies that don't have an equitable relationship with their people and are not the same company to their customers versus their employees. And if, if you're not treating them the same, then if not better, if not better, happy people make happy customers. And and people confuse that. People think happy customers solve everything. They don't. Happy employees solve literally everything on earth. And 100%. so I think that's a really important point you mentioned, the true colors movement. We're seeing that. We're seeing the lack of kind of, you know, that equality issue between the company and and it's forcing change. And by the way, it's a good thing. And look, there are some companies that have embraced it and some companies who have said, look, we haven't been the most fab company that's okay. And I think employees would love to be part of a company that says, you know what? You're right. Not only are you right, we're going to take these steps. And I think if I apply that into former employees, people who've left, there's a lot of conversation with alumni, especially older generation, maybe the retired community saying, this company was built on my shoulders. Everything about this company was built on my shoulders and I got a Rolex when I retired and, you know, some high fives and I'm kind of, and that's it. And what you've seen over the past few years, especially actually during the pandemic, is companies say, we need experienced senior leaders who've been through a financial crisis. And as they start to look around for that talent, it becomes very clear that the retirees are not only that talent, they have deep love for the company. I mean, you're talking about lifetime employees here. You're talking about someone who, happy or sad, worked for GE their entire life and wouldn't even consider buying a light bulb from a different organization because also they have equity. Their 401k, their pension plan is in it. And so we've seen a number of companies reach out to these retirees and say, hey, come in, come in, talk with our other executives, provide mentorship, guidance, be in the lunch hall so that we can have lunch with you, informal. And I think that goes back to what you're saying, which is a company that basically said, look, we might not have done right by you when you left. You know, thank you, here's your gold Rolex. We all thought that was enough, money solves everything. Now we're saying to you, actually, we want, we demand, we need, please may we have your your wisdom and i think that's a really i think it's a really powerful thing that you talk about kind of the true colors uh, uh, yeah, yeah i couldn't agree yeah. more yeah listen and and to, and to bring this back to the community thing that is the essence of community it is the recognition of value in the individual to the whole and then finding a way to offer that piece is what drives the community right like if right. you can get really good at identifying what this person has that's valuable to that person and you can be the engine that continues to lubricate the exchange of that value man you stand at a very powerful place right like it's yeah. it's more powerful to be the stage that everybody wants to get seen on than to be the star of the stage being the star of the stage is a fleeting moment but if you're the stage right if you're the kingmaker then everybody that wants to be a star, everybody that wants to be a king needs you. And no one really tells you that. You know what I mean? Growing up, no one tells you that. So you always assume, assume you want to be the king. You always assume you want the camera on you at all times. But but it actually takes, you know, a little bit of awakening, seeing, having a great mentor, having seeing other people to realize that actually the 51% giver is 10x more powerful than anyone else. Yes, they may have more influencer likes. They may have means zero. When it converts to actual capital value, you're 100% right, which I think re brings me to this kind of second conversation about community, which is just because you and I both worked at IBM, that's what gets us in the door. We both arrive at the party. It, it may be what starts the conversation. Hey, do you remember when you know Phil fell down the stairs? Or were you there when we came out with this product? Something funny, something functional, something of value. But that's not the reason we hang around. After we've gone through the funny pleasantries of you know who we know at IBM and funny stories about bits and pieces, then it's going to move to something else. And that's where I, I think the true community starts. So I think there's two communities, the community that gets us in the door because we have a commonality and then a community that keeps us at the party, in the ballroom, at the dinner hall, whatever we're talking about, because I realize you 
and I align and we should know each other. And I don't know what that means. And I don't know if I care what that means. And so I think companies misunderstand. They think that first entrance into the door is going to sustain it. If we build it, they're going to come. No, Kevin Costner's not showing up, nor is the team showing up. It's never going to happen. If you build it, they will turn up, they will knock on the door, they will give you 15 seconds. And if you don't lead out the gate with value, if you're not standing at the door saying, welcome, Pablo, let me introduce you to two people I think you should know. You did that to me. I met you. Within 24 hours, you introduced me and said, here's someone you should know. You delivered me value. And it doesn't matter whether that person, good or bad, and I don't mean that person isn't, but my point is you made the first step. And so it goes back to this MC, the host. Imagine walking in. Think of it like a party. You walk in because we both worked at IBM. You're at the door. Oh my God, I got another guy who was also there, left the same year as you. And by the way, runs. You probably know him. And you walk up, and you're like, no, I don't, but now I have a new friend. And so I kind of want to talk a little bit about these communities inside of communities, because I think I saw you talk about this earlier with, you know, starting the non with the nonprofits, with the boards, but then also I noticed with your marketing community, you know, that's, the, that's what gets you in. I'm a brilliant marketer, so I want to join the brilliant marketer community. But it doesn't mean when I get in, everyone's using the same stack, everyone's using the same stuff. It means I'm going to find like-minded people and hopefully talk about other stuff. So can you give me a bit of insights into, I guess you drank your own champagne, right? You created your own community because you believed in the model enough. Yeah, man, listen, I, I think it comes down to what we discussed, right? At the fundamental level is identifying the individual value of people in the community and then showcasing it to others, right? So so the the idea that if I have if I have a group of people, right? Like build it and they will come, cool. Create the space, excellent. You need the space, you need a stage. And then the systematic element is just like, all right, who here has something to share to the whole, get good at understanding whether or not that's actually valuable, then bring him up to the stage and be like, here's James. He is, you know, he's a, right. he's a software developer that used to work at IBM and he's learned a couple of things and he's about to teach it to you. And then now I gave you that experience of being able to showcase your superpower, whoever's in the community that gets to like hear it and connect with something that you said that then wants to approach you later and get to know you, that's a value to you. That's a value to them. If you magnify that by making content out of it and now sending it to your email list, now I'm eating, adding even more value to you, James. Right. And I'm adding more value to the, the value of the community itself because now people outside of the community see how many brilliant people are inside of the community and what's happening. And that's going to keep bringing people into the tent. It's a really simple formula. Yeah. And that is exactly how we built these young professional groups, right? Like we would build, we would go out there. I would recruit the young professionals. It was like an $80 a year thing, right? It was really just a way to like get free labor for the charity and some other like tentacles of fundraising. Right. Right. And you just go out there and say, listen, man, Miami's a really flaky town. If you want to meet some like valuable people that care at least a little bit about something other than themselves, then join these groups because people are showing up for this because they're part of the charity, right? So like that's that's building, right? Yeah. And then what we would do is our monthly meeting would be in the boardroom of one of the board members of the charity, right? Uh, and these are very powerful people. So you get to walk into the board the the the, the boardroom with the CEO of Ryder Corporation, the CEO of whatever hospital, the superintendent of schools, whomever. And you're there in an intimate audience with 15 other young professionals. And that person tells you a little bit about how they got started and what worked for them in their life and blah, 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 blah. You ask them a couple questions. You get their business card. Now, if you want to build a relationship with this person, you have some access to them. And then they leave to go on with their day. And we sit down and go, all right, now who's planning this happy hour? Who's planning this volunteer event? Who's doing this gala thing? And and that was it. I mean, the biggest, you're right, it's a formula, it's a playbook. And it's a playbook that can absolutely be replicated. The The critical piece of that playbook that I think a lot of organizations forget is the organization cannot be the MC or the host. You need someone in the weeds that is pulling, the organization could be the facilitator, the owner, the brand, the name, but you need a human. You need a human that is going to, exactly as you said, facilitate, bring, set, happy hour, introductions. Let me introduce these two people, set the guy. So, you know, one of the things is kind of, you know, one of our customers is like, well, you know, I'm like, look, you need someone. You need someone in the trenches that's actually communicating. You need, a champion. need a champion. And they're like, well, we're a team. I'm like, cool, you need a champion. Well, if we give them all that power and then they leave, 
Well, great, great for you. Now you're time for a new champion. You built, they built this amazing community. It's worked perfectly. And they've, you know, the greatest view of a great champion is if they leave and a new champion takes over and can do equally well, if not be any better. And I think companies aren't used to this concept of them not having control. It's kind of like this story that I read this morning, I think in the journal about brands giving kind of like these younger interns in their company control over the TikTok. Control. And, the, and these younger interns, who are not that young, but they're younger, are saying, no limitations, no constraints. Don't tell me what I can and can't do. Don't tell me if I can drop an F-bomb or not. I will get you what you need. Let me be authentic. Let me be myself. And the brand was like, yeah, but. And they were like, yeah, but. Your choice. If you want me to do it successfully, I can. But let me be a champion. If you want me to do it to represent you know, your control, cool, I'll do it because you're paying me, but don't expect value out of it. And I think that goes to your point. You know, I think the biggest thing I've heard throughout this entire conversation is you have to have a champion by name that people know. Speak to Pablo, speak to Frank, speak to Sally, because without it, you've got nothing that's holding the core together, right? Yeah, it's funny, man. Like I, when I first came up with this whole thesis, you know, in my big vision, there was a, there's a C-level role at every company that's the chief executive connector. Mm-hmm. Right, like the, the person whose job is literally just to find the value exchange opportunities between people in your company, people in your suppliers, people in your clientele, and just facilitate that stuff. Because it's so, you know, like there is just so much gold there. And that was the original name of my podcast, it was Chief Executive Connector. Um, and now I've changed it to the B2B Community Builder Show, right? Just because content strategy. Right. But I, I, I agree. Yeah. You need to have a champion, man. Like if, if it's not somebody's job, it's nobody's job and it doesn't get done, period. Right. Just like what doesn't get measured doesn't get done. Right. Like it's, it's fundamental management 101. It's to me, the key has really been James, the fact that community is a long play. So if you get somebody, if you get a CEO that understands, nah, I need a community, no matter what, we're going to invest in this, whatever. Fantastic. That's a very small part of the population. <laughs> uh, most CEOs are like, yes, I will do this if it feeds my needs short term too. So the key is figure out how, how you can interlace this act of community building with the short term kind of like needs of what you're doing. And for me, the lowest friction part of that is the idea that content creation can always be done around whatever you're doing. So if it is, if it is this alumni community that you're creating, if you can be creating content about the people doing this, right. then you're also creating marketing materials for your HR. Yeah. You're also creating sales enablement tools and whatever for your for the rest of and your business. And you're giving your people right? a journey. I mean, that's such a big thing you mentioned is content creation. There is so much lower hanging content, but the easiest content is to open and be like, hey, we're in beta. We don't know what we're doing because we don't know what you want. Be part of the be part of the community creation. And funnily enough, that is the most successful launch strategy there is, which is make people emotionally invest in the success of the community because they had a voice that was heard in quotations or not quotations, depending on the company. And I think you're absolutely right. You know, the CEO, look, what we find in, in just reality from a sales cycle is when C-suite says do it, we will close the deal quicker. But it doesn't <laughs> yeah. necessarily have any impact or reflection on the success of the community. The only success of the community is someone, as you talked about, front and center, digging the trenches day in, day out, and you know, just doing those introductions. And we see amazing community leaders that when new people join, they look at the list, and we're talking about communities that have hundreds of thousands of people are looking at the daily joins being like, one second, this is what she's doing. I know, let me do that link. Because just doing that one action she will be an advocate for this company. And I think companies forget that. You know, when you decide which cell phone provider to go on, people ask for mm-hmm. recommendations on a, on the daily. And I think people misunderstand community. And that's where I go to, you can't count, you know, some of the things that count the most, you can't count. You cannot count when your brother, your sister, your friend, your uncle says, oh yeah, they're amazing. That, yeah. That decision, especially when it's apples to apples, well, it's not apples to apples, phone service in Los Angeles, but the concept of apples to apples, you know, there's Target who give a 7% discount to employees who leave the organization because you still got to buy stuff and no one goes to Target and spends $12. It's impossible. You walk in for milk and you walk out with a house and, you know, 
and everything else you need. And Lufthansa, discount on flights. So you start to see companies saying, we know you're going to be a customer anyway. Why don't we make it easy for you to make the choice? Because by giving you this discount, amazing, amazing. All day you're going to talk about us. Makes, makes perfect sense to me, man. No, yeah, <laughs> it totally does. You know, and I, th I think that's where the the difficulty comes from organizations, balancing short-term value. But you're right, the, the secret is content. And the content is right there. You just got to do it. Correct. Because if I'm giving you a 7% discount, but I also record your smile on your face every time you check out, then, then that's marketing. That's a million dollar piece of content. I agree. I agree. I agree so much, Pablo. And, I, and I'm, you know, I want to talk a tiny, for just a tiny second, I know we're coming towards the end about, you know, you talked a little bit on Wednesday about the relationship flywheel and what that means. And I always like it when people have created, you know, some sort of a structure or organized view of their business, if that makes sense, and have named it because it means some thought has been into it. Um, I had a chance to read on the website, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about kind of what A, it is and B, you know, why you believe that is a competitive strength. Yeah, thanks, man. It's actually a trademarked. So I got that thing trademarked. I, I retract um, and why you think it's not a competitive strength. It is a competitive strength, trademarked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, the, the relationship flywheel is kind of just everything that we've been describing. Right, it's it's this idea that if you can create a stage, you can drive a community. And the way that you turn that into a flywheel is it's got three pillars. It's got value, connections, and content. Right. The first thing is we've been talking about it. Value. Right. Nobody's going to show up to something if there isn't any value. Right. So what you got to understand is your clientele, if be it your clientele or the people that you're trying to recruit for for jobs. Right. So. You need to you need to make it very obvious to them what's what's in it for them outside of what's in it for you, right? So, like as a as a product, I need to understand that there's a whole ecosystem of stuff surrounding the success of my client if they buy my product, and they need to be able to have access to that stuff. And if you can find the access to that stuff via relationships that they want to have that provide them that access, that is the value piece that you're putting up on on the stage as the value. Then you move into connections, which is when you're actually having somebody on stage, you have this opportunity to drive one key relationship with somebody that's valuable to your, to your clientele, to your audience, right? Like to your alumni and be guilty about association with them. You also have the opportunity to drive relationship with the audience. So whether it's six, 16 or 60, those people get an hour of your time and you're only spending an hour, right? And as long as you're also addressing them, they feel like they're building a relationship with you and you're building a relationship one to few. Right. If you also think about driving the relationship between your guest and the audience, then now you are multiplying the vectors of value that you're giving to your guests and you're multiplying the vectors of value to your audience and then also have the wherewithal of driving the relationship audience to audience, right? Somebody says something great, You'd be like, oh, that person's great. Connect with them afterwards. Acknowledging people right. that are in the space. If you're driving those four vectors of connection well, and you're recording the content around it, now you can take that one hour thing that happened on stage that had four levels of relationship building, and you can chop the one hour into a one hour YouTube show, the 10 best minutes YouTube short, the audio becomes a podcast the five to six best kind of like back and forth between you and the guests become video vignettes for Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. The five best things that are said become quote cards for the same platforms. The five best questions asked become Q&A content. And if you're distributing this stuff around social media, particularly on LinkedIn right now and tagging the people that are a part of it, right? So if you show up to an event of mine and you ask a question to the keynote speaker, and I show you on the screen say, interacting with um, you know, Chris Walker, who's like a big marketing celebrity these days that's been on my podcast, and I tag you saying, James asked this awesome question to Chris Walker. You're both tagged there. People that follow Chris and follow you are going to be like, oh my God, my friend's on TV with Chris Walker, and who's this other guy that's hosting the party, right? So like, there is this like organic growth that happens when you are distributing the content that you are co-creating with other people. And if you're doing that well, then more people are going to see value in what you're doing, which means more people show up, which drive better connections, which makes more better content, and it's a flywheel. So it just keeps going, man. I, it's just very simple formula. I mean, it totally makes sense. I've always been a big believer of that kind of long-form content that you then snip up into 700 million ways and extract value at every point. You know, I think companies, I always tell companies, I mean, Salesforce, again, to use that example, when they have someone leaves, they name them by name. Good luck 
X name going to X company. Salesforce, the yeah. brand on LinkedIn is talking about potentially a competitor, a customer, a partner. They yeah. don't care if the person is great. They deserve the applause. It's kind of like something Apple does. I don't know if you know this, but in the Apple retail store, when you leave or when you decide to transition, they have what's called the clap out, where all the employees clap as you walk by and leave the doors for the final time. And I've, cool. and I've got to believe you know, some people probably think it's silly. Some people just want to get the hell out of there. But a majority of people leave with a smile on their face that their time was appreciated and that everyone took a minute for that one person. And that's going to serve dividends forever. And it might not hit you when you leave because it might be your first job, might not be. But I think that clap out is a tremendous thing. And it wasn't organized by the company. It was organized at one store where a manager wanted to recognize her people. Smart. It's, it's now a thing. Yeah, and everybody and everybody clapping is sitting there thinking, you know what? These people, you know, when I if I leave because I get to go do something else, they're gonna clap me out, and it's like a sense of community and whatever, right? Like it's not. It it, it has so many, you know that that recognition of you did well and you deserve to move forward has multiple vectors of influence. Yeah, and that's and that's kind of where I want to end it, which is companies should start taking credit for where their people go. They didn't leave because yeah. they hated us. They left because they went to the next thing. They're not successful in spite of us. They're successful because of us. And I yeah. think companies yeah. need to be okay with that. So with that, Pablo, you know, your insights, your time, I'm so glad I got to hear your story and, and ask those questions. I know you're uber active on LinkedIn, so people can find you there. I know you got your amazing podcast, uh, but I'd love you to have the final word, the final thought and close out the show. Anything you want to add, some special moment, you got to make it impactful. Yeah, man. Uh, I would love for you, friend who just hung out with us and had us in your ear for uh, a couple minutes to check out my podcast, the B2B Community Builder Show. And really the wisdom that I want to, that I want to leave you with is this idea that as human beings, we are the quintessential social animal. We, we didn't, we didn't leave caves until we realized that I could go talk to another caveman and together we could take down a woolly mammoth. <laughs> and we didn't densify in cities until like one Roman talked to another Roman. It was like, well, if we build this aqueduct, maybe we can densify and we can have even more people collaborating. And right. we didn't get to the moon until they decided that if you build this like whole ecosystem around these like three guys, somebody can walk on the moon, right? So anything that you're going to do that's, that's, that's great, anything that you're going to do that's special is going to require you understanding the value of people around you and putting that value to use in a way that makes them feel good in order to feed a greater goal. And we are better like that because it is intrinsically inside of us. So lean into it. Yes. <laughs> across the board. Pablo, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Can't wait to talk to you soon, buddy. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. The People Experience Podcast is brought to you by Alumni X. To find out more about how we enable organizations to attract, engage, and activate their alumni community, head to alumniex.com. Make sure to search for People Experience anywhere good podcasts are found and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Alumni X, thanks for listening.